en hartelike goeie morgen, dakom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelik saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, 105 sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendlik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Our family is just getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to 657 AM. That's where you tune to. A warm-hearted good morning from God's Footstool here in Kilnepark in Pretoria. Trust to find you well, that you can say with other believers what a privilege it is to be on God's wake-up list, to be here, and uh, the things that we so easily take for granted. Our senses, the ability to hear and uh, to think and to do. So, greeting you from God's Footstool. You're truly Vanand Rousseau behind the microphone, and as always, my brother in Christ, uh, Pastor Rocky Stevenson on the other side. Rocky, good morning, my brother. How are you keeping? Good morning. Very well. Thank you, Vainant, and uh, what a lovely day it is to serve the Lord. It is indeed a privilege that we have, and I want to tell you that we pray for you, you that's tuned into this program. We've asked the Lord, because in this program, you send in the questions that you might have. Uh, with regards to God's Word. If you're struggling with something, yes, we do handle lifestyle problems as well. Uh, if you've got um, questions with regards to your marriage, lifestyle, whatever the case might be, you're welcome to uh, post your questions. And this is how you do it. We use a WhatsApp number. I'm going to give it to you in a moment. So please open up your contacts on your phone. This is where you open up the contacts on your phone, store the number so you, that you have it. This is a very unique number and you use it for everything and anything here at the radio pulpit. So store the number. I'm going to give it to you in a mo. You post your questions there as a sideline uh, remark. Just add the scriptures with uh, which you're battling with. And then uh, Rocky and myself, well, we'll dive into the word. He is the tip of the spear. Hmm? He is the one that's got uh, that unique talent of handling questions live on air. Van tevore, ons het al manne hier gehad, onthou jy, uh, Pastor Tyrell Haag, he's living in Canada, Pastor Matt Fulhoun, he's taking a well-deserved break, and now it's Rocky Stevenson's turn, and that's why we call him the tip of the spear. Wanneer ons uh, die woord van hier, because the word of God says, you know, a battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against powers, principalities, forces of darkness, you're in God's army, so you need to expect that uh, the enemy will take pot shots at you, try and confuse you, slap question marks on what you know. And in this program, we tackle those uh, prog- those issues. So, here's the number, 082. Have you got that? 082. Vodacom number, 082-657, the frequency on which we broadcast, the number 2, and then uh, 729. Let's put it all together now, 082 657 
0891-104-729. Don't despair. We'll give it during the course of the program as well. We'll give it often. So if you've missed out on it, share it now under your contacts. And if you've got a question, you're most welcome then to send your questions through. We've only got an hour. Ten minutes is gone with news and all sorts of other stuff. So let's climb in there. Rocky, got a question from a listener last week, and we normally prepare a question from listeners to give you time to uh, send through your questions. But I uh, got a question from a listener last week, Magdalene, that said, uh, Good morning, uh, brethren in Christ. I would very much like to know and understand that when we get to heaven, will we see our loved ones that have gone on before us? as we know them in the natural form. What will it be like? Does the Bible give us any idea? Rocky, over to you. Yeah, There's not a specific passage that says you will see your loved ones exactly that way, but we can take from a broad scope of the Scriptures and think through this. We do see that our Lord Jesus in His resurrected body, in His glorified body, was recognizable. He was able to be seen by his disciples, and they get they understood this is Jesus. This is the Jesus he ate that fish. was with us, and yeah. he ate fish. We can think through other stories, like what our Lord Jesus gave when he gave his parable regarding Lazarus and the rich man. Oh, and yes. you've got Abraham, and Lazarus was recognizable by the rich man who was then separated by the chasm and in Hades and was able to look over the chasm and see, there's Lazarus, this guy that was at my gate who was begging, and he's with Abraham, and he even asks, won't you send him across here? Even there he has, in a sense, that, that pride that thinks, I'm over this Lazarus. You know, I'm right here in hell, in a sense. But send Lazarus, let him give a drip of water to me. But he recognized him, and he could recognize Abraham. And then you've got, for example, in 1 Samuel 28, where Samuel goes, well, Samuel's spirit is brought up by the medium for Saul. And Saul was able to recognize Samuel. And uh, actually, the medium freaks out at that moment and realizes this isn't a demon I've just conjured. This actually is the spirit of Samuel that God sovereignly allowed to come up by the medium, and he was recognizable. And so we can draw from passages like that. But Second Corinthians 5, 6 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there's also the coming feast of the, the, the marriage feast of the Lamb, where we will have places that are allotted for us. But then we also are able to see those who are part of the multitude that are worshiping God. A wonderful passage to bring to our friend's reminder as well would be Revelation 7 from verse 9. And just listen to the, the marvelous passage that there is there. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry, they cry with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. The blessing and the glory and the wisdom and the thanksgiving and the honor and the power and the strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I'll read that type of a passage just as a reminder that heaven's about worshipping the Lord. It's yeah. That's what our major, what we'll be doing for all of eternity. We will have moment upon moment of wow moments. And I do wonder if we'll be arranged at that point when we with the multitudes inside of our nations and tribes and peoples and tongues. Because John says he can see the, 
all of this multitude, but then yeah. he sees nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And I would see it as somewhat as implied, even in that passage, which would give a sense of a great choir arrangement. And and in a way, you would you would think maybe even at that point being allocated within your local churches or within your peoples, within your nations, within the groups that you were in. And you'll recognize a number of the people that are around you. But part of answering this question However, we, it does lead us to the reality that there'll only be certain people inside of heaven. So yeah. when you ask the question, will I see all my loved ones? Not always, because some of your loved ones don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them have not repented of their sin. And the Lord said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? And there, yes, the scary part. Yes, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Yeah, done miracles, done great things in your name, and he will say, depart yeah, from me. Cast I never, out demons even. Cast out demons even. Depart from me, I never knew you. And that passage is such wow. a fascinating one. If, if you read it even inside of the original, Curios, Curios, it's Lord, Lord. It was the title that they knew Jesus. Yeah. But the problem is that Jesus didn't know them. And that's yeah. where the where the big issue comes. They knew of who he is, and you get a lot of that cultural kind of a Christianity. But it's only those who have not rejected the Lord Jesus in who the Lord Jesus really is. In other words, not making up some other Jesus that's a figment of our imagination yeah. or a Jesus that would be comfortable with us, but really turning to the Jesus of the Scriptures. Revelation. Rocky, can I interrupt? Sure. May I ask, because the Bible speaks about another demon, another Jesus, and another gospel, isn't it? Yeah, well, um, the, Paul says, don't let you yourselves be bewitched by a different gospel. And then he, he kind of corrects that and says, Though there is no actual other gospel, because yeah. the real gospel is the only gospel. Right. But okay. people do come with a works-based ideology and say, you've got to add these things. Yes, yeah. Jesus saved you to get you to the point of zero. You know, he took yeah. your sins from you, but then you've got to keep yourself there, or you've got to do a bunch of these things. We don't see that as scriptural. The, the scriptures teach that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by yeah. Christ alone by the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. This is what the scriptures uphold for us. But what many a man does is they they love to have a works-based thinking regarding salvation. And if they manage to get over that hurdle and say, yes, I'm saved by grace, they might think to themselves, well, I'm kept saved by works. Whereas we don't see that. The Christian does what he does out of love for the Father in Christ and he lives a Christian life not to get grace, but he does it because of grace. All right. And in light of that mercy, he presents himself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12. It's a, it's a life-giving, life-changing topic, that simple question that the listeners ask. But how will I know then? There's none so blind, then the blind. There's none so deaf, then the death themselves. How will I know then, Rocky, if I will see my loved ones in heaven? Uh, how will I know if I'm not saved? How, uh, can I know that I'm not saved? You can. Um, the, the Bible does teach us that you will know them by their fruit. You will know if the root is rotten, if the fruit is rotten of that tree. If you're not bearing any Christian fruit, and if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, which is in the singular Galatians 5, and you're actually practicing the works of the evil one and the works of the flesh, as opposed to the works of the Spirit, you would then be able to somehow discern. But the problem with being unsaved is that it's tremendously blinding. Yeah. When you are in sin, sin, part of what sin does is it puts cataracts on your eyes. It puts earwax in your ears. But I guess part of the question that you're asking is, well, then how can I be saved? Or yeah. what, what, what must I do? And John 10 verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And that's that marvelous passage where Jesus talks about himself being the good shepherd who lays down his life for yeah. his sheep. Yeah. And the gospel is given even in that way. 
I want to ask this, so that a six-year-old can understand it. Somebody said if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you probably can't explain it to an adult as well. What does it mean going in by the door? What does it mean? I mean, Nicodemus asked, a man cannot go into his mother's womb again. What does it mean to be saved then? Yeah, the the Lord Jesus is the only way to the Father, and he has been provided for us. And so not only is he the way, but he's also the way in, in that sense. And this is similar to what even the Philippian jailer asked to to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 from around verse 30, 33, somewhere there. And uh, what happened there is you had Paul and Silas that were locked up in jail, and they sing in hymns. They got locked up because they had cast a demon out of a demon-possessed girl who was a sorceress. And her slave master was earning a whole lot of money from her. And so he got upset. One of the things that gets people upset today still is money, right? Yes, it does. (laughs) And uh, they get upset. They throw Paul and Silas into jail. They sing in hymns to God. The jailer would have known something of what is why, why these men were thrown in. And in the night, there's an earthquake that breaks open the prison doors. And instead of earlier on in the book of Acts where you find Peter and John actually leaving, even the prison when the prison was opened, Paul doesn't. Silas doesn't. Even though their stocks fall off and even though all of the other prisoners are set free, the Philippian jailer in the dark comes down. He's, he's about to throw himself on his sword yeah. because he, you know, if you were a guard at a prison and the prisoners escaped, your life would be ransomed for the prisoner's life. You let these guys go, you now must give your life. And he was about to fall on his sword actually as an act that would probably would have saved it would have been an honorable suicide in that type yeah, yeah. of time in those contexts, and it yeah. would have also probably saved his family because his family would have been killed with him had he not done something wow. like that falling on his sword yeah. but he's actually there and after he brings them out he says to because paul and silas stop him they say don't fall on your sword we're all here and he brings them out he's so shocked at the fact that all of the prisoners are there. Can you imagine the testimony of Paul and Silas in singing hymns in stocks having just been beaten that all of the other prisoners, when they're actually able to go free, don't go free? So the Philippian church really starts with a lady named Lydia and this um, Philippian jailer and probably a couple of prisoners. But he brings them out. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So it's this simple question that you've asked even here. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. And not, you will be saved. Not knowing of him, believe in Believe him. in him. Believe and what? you will be saved. This Lord Jesus, the, the, the one who is now master over all. Yeah. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together. So, yeah, you get the indication. The word of the Lord is what leads a man to understand who the Lord Jesus is. All right. God has given us the revelation of his word to say, even Old Testament, New Testament, that point to Christ and say, this is the Savior. This is the light of the world. You've been living in darkness. You come to him. Repent. Believe upon him and be saved. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. So this is the Philippian jailer takes yeah. him home or takes Paul and Silas home, washes their wounds, and Paul and Silas are speaking the word of God to them. And immediately he was baptized, he and his household. So part of what we see, even as evidence here of the salvation in this Roman citizen who yeah. was a Philippian jailer, yeah. that he got saved is that he now is baptized. And that baptism was, I'm going to follow this Jesus. I'm now his disciple. I lay aside everything else that I once knew, and I no longer trust all of that, all of the Roman gods and the demigods that I was following. But now Jesus is my Lord. It's not about knowing 
everything that is about the Lord Jesus, but it's about knowing the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And as one knows the Lord Jesus, one grows to know him and appreciate him. I don't believe somebody can be saved if they don't have a baseline understanding that the Bible is the Bible. That's the word of God yeah. that reveals Christ to us. You don't need to know everything, but you need to know him who knows everything. And the Lord Jesus is him who knows everything. So back to the wall question. Here we come, I'm, I'm reminded of the parable of the sower, where, where you know, as, as a young man, I've given my life, I think, three or four times to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it lasted for about three or four days when I was back to my old ways. How will I know? Uh, we in Christianity have this, this inclination sometimes, if you pray with me this prayer, I will declare you saved, but, you know, by Wednesday, I'm back to my old ways. There's a, there's a term for that. They call it easy believism. And that, that often leaves the salvation moment up to the individual as opposed yeah. to leaving it up to God. It's God who gave his all in giving Christ, his son, Ephesians to two, die eight on and the nine. cross. Christ exactly. alone. And it's not so much us giving ourselves to him. It's him who gave all of himself for us. And yeah. it's that point of repentance where we recognize that I'm actually the one that put Christ at the cross with my sin. And so in a, in a short, simple way is to recognize that you are a sinner. That's the first step in many respects. You know people don't you know, like I'm, that word. Eh? Yes, no, people hate that word because they love their sin. And that's yeah. what John three nineteen says to us. The light is coming to the world, but the people have loved darkness. All right. People love their sin. That's the reason that people sin. Um, ask yourself when last um, you may know of a sin that you committed. It's, it's, you're the reason we do it is because we like it. And yeah. it's something that's opposed to the will of God. So it's recognize that you're a sinner and then recognize your need of a savior. You can't actually save yourself. So this is a humbling process for the individual as they are, in a sense, awakening to Christ. And then recognize that Jesus is that savior. He's the one that God has provided. The okay. only way to the Father is by Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's not one of the ways, one of the truths, one of the lives. Yeah. He is the, and yeah. he is the only way. And then trust in him and repent of your sin. Yeah. Turn from it. A and daily not, dying to self. You know, it's not a 360 degree. I once heard a sermon of a guy that was <laughs> preaching, and he was preaching his heart out, and he says, you must do a 360 degree turn from your sin. That would yeah. mean to turn right back to it. Yeah. But you turn from it, and you turn to the Lord Jesus, and then have Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And then the simple thing is start obeying him. If you, like the Philippian jailer who that moment got baptized, start obeying Jesus. And that's why baptism is such an important step, is because you go, this is my Lord, and this is yeah. what he said we must do. Go, therefore, into all the world, discipling them, yeah. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them. Yeah. It would even seem that from the Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, twenty, that baptism even precedes the teaching yeah. element, because right. it's the simple step of going, well, I can't do this myself. I must have Jesus. He must save me. Um, another good thing to look at, and you probably could find this on the Internet or depending on if we have time, even look at it, is the Roman road. It's a yeah. wonderful little illustration through the Book of Romans. Go and read the Book of Romans. What a wonderful argumentation regarding salvation. Yeah. And um, in Romans, there's there's a wonderful uh, – people have alliterated this to the Roman road, and there's about yes. six, seven steps regarding that. Romans 3 verse 23, for example, starting out with the problem, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then moving on to the predicament of Romans 4 verse 4 to 5, no, no – 
note no, sorry now to the one who works his wage is not counted according to grace but according to what is due but to the one who does not work but believes upon him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness and so there we see that there's nothing that a person can do to earn the merit of forgiveness or a right standing before god they must have christ and then you move to the penalty romans 5 verse 12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. That's the penalty. Sin demands a penalty. And that penalty is physical death, where the soul is then separated from the body. But then there's also spiritual death, where the soul is eternally separated from God. That's something that we sometimes don't realize. The eternal death is when the soul of a man is cast away from God for eternity into hell. That is a tremendously scary thought. And that's part of this payment for sin that you must give. But then God gives the provision. What does God give us in the provision? Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us. And hear this. In that while we were yet sinners, sinners, Christ died for us. Right Right at that moment of being enemies still, Christ dies for us. God loved us that much to provide Jesus Christ, his son, to take our place at the cross and then pay the penalty for our sin. And as you work through this Roman road, you then see the pardon. In Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gracious gift of God, you get that? The gracious gift of God. It's nothing you did to, to do this. Yeah. It's not, not your person. It's not your works. It's his person, his works. The gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. So God, in grace, freely gives eternal life to every person who will receive forgiveness for their sins through Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's as simple as look and live. Mm. You know, That was one of the sermons that actually... There was a deacon that was preaching that, and Charles Spurgeon was in a cold night, came into a church, and the pastor didn't arrive because of all the snow. And one of these elderly deacons gets up, and he preaches a sermon about look and live, and Charles Spurgeon is saved. And he learns that that this is the way that you actually get saved. And then you see the process, and that's the last step of the Roman road, Romans 10, verse 9 to 10. Listen to this marvelous passage, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm. That's as simple as a six year old needs it, as simple as a sixty year old needs it, as simple as a sixteen year old in needs my it. Bible the key to eternal life. Yes. And verse ten says, For with the heart a person believes. Yeah. Now we can't make that happen in somebody. Yeah. God does that within a person. Yeah. With the heart one believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses leading to salvation. So this is marvelous. So as simple as that, if you're listening this morning and you haven't done that, it's as simple as believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the grave and then confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You cannot do that apart from the Spirit of God working within you. You will have all these other excuses if if you do not have the Spirit of God humbling you to that point. So people must turn to the risen Lord Jesus Christ in faith, and they must trust in him alone, apart from all human merit. You don't think I'm a good person because I did X, Y, Z, and I gave some— I pray five times a day. I go to church— I walked some older lady across the road and got a scout badge or whatever it is. You know, that's the way that we often like to think because we want to pat ourselves on the back. But we, the only boast that the Christian has is in Christ alone and his finished work at the cross. And he delivers us from our sins. He brings us into a relationship with God. Christ is the way. 
and um, and we must know him, but he must know us. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, John ten twenty seven. So should we steer clear from declaring each other saved? If you pray with me this prayer, I cannot say, because by the fruit I will recognize, I will know in years to come, if you are truly a saved, born-again, blood-bought covenant child of the Most High God, because I recognize you by the fruit. Yeah, I think we do need to be careful there, Vainant. I think yeah. you've made a good a good observation there. Even for us that baptize uh, what we say believers, we yeah. actually don't do that. We don't do baptism of believers. We do baptism of professing believers. Yeah. A person professes. They yeah. say, Jesus is my Lord. You yeah. ask that person, well, have you come under any compulsion by anybody else? Did anyone else do this? No, no, I did this myself. I've chosen yeah. to do this. Is Jesus your Lord? Yes, Jesus is my Lord, the yeah. person says. Yeah. And then we say, based on your profession, we like to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. And, we, and we put them under the water because baptism means immersion. We yeah. stick them fully under the water, yeah. just like you can't be buried with just a little sprinkling of dust. You yeah. get fully buried, and it pictures Christ's burial and and his, well, his death, burial, and resurrection yeah. from the grave. And we bring the person up. And we say, wow, this is amazing. This person's now identified with the body of believers and said, Jesus is my Lord by this act. Yeah. But even there, we baptize professing believers. Mm. How do we really know if somebody's a believer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Lord knows. He knows the heart of a man. He yeah. knows what's happening in the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And Hen- so, hence the parable of the wheat and the tares. Exactly. And yeah. so how do you really know them? It will, you'll know them by their love, one for one another. Yeah. You'll know them by their growth. And it's those that will endure to the end that will be saved. Now, that becomes difficult for us sometimes theologically, but it's not difficult for the Lord because you have what we call um, the people will say once saved, always saved. I yeah. prefer them to say if saved, always saved, yeah. because it's not just once saved. It's not just this easy believism thing. It's not just this. Okay, well, once upon a time he prayed a prayer, so okay, he will come back and yeah. comfort ourselves with that. And then we don't share the gospel with that individual. No, if Jesus is your Lord, if He really has saved you, yeah. then why will you go on in your sin? First John says. They went out from us because they were not of us, John says as well in his epistles. And so you do have this wheat and the tares aspect that is there, and you will always have that to a degree. Um, We also encourage not to go and uproot the weeds because we might uproot the the, the actual wheat at the same time. spoke to a man two weeks ago, professed to be a Christian, says, I was born again, baptized, the whole ship, but he talks like a, a, a paratrooper. Uh, and, 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 and at the end of the day, there's always somebody listening. There's always somebody watching. You know, I know, even for myself, Rocky, I sit here and I testify that even four years after the Lord Jesus Christ saved me that night, I still smoked. I battled to get rid of it until I cried out to God, laid it as his, at his feet, and th- then he set me free. Mm. But if you had met me in those days way back when, you would have thought, and you call yourself a Christian, brother? You smoke like a chimney. We, we've got very little room for brokenness. Yeah. You know, we we, we, shoot we find wounded. it quite easy to look at the speck in yeah. a brother's eye <laughs> without, uh, without recognizing the log in our own. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. Moving on. And uh, if you follow the, uh, the advice that you just got from scriptures, uh, if you listen carefully this morning, Chances are you will see your loved ones if they did the same. You will meet them face to face again, and yes, you will recognize them. Bye, Donkey. Let's move on. As jij vraag het wat je wil instuur, scriptural, schriftelijk, 082657 Maureen Soweto. She's talking about the second epistle of John and verse 1. 
second epistle, I'd need to ask you, Rocky, to read that for me because some people don't have their Bibles in their car. It says there, to the elect lady. Uh, who, who's the scriptures referring to? Uh, Maureen is asking. Yeah, Do we second, know? Second John 1, 1 says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom yeah. I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. This is one of the shortest books in the Bible, actually only 13 verses long. So the question is regarding, well, who is this elect lady? And there's, a, there's been a number of different interpretations of this passage. Some have believed that this is regarding to a specific church, and so they're saying this church is referred to as this elect lady, and then the children are then the members of this local church. But that would be to take a metaphorical kind of a language referring to this and you would then metaphorically also understand her children as then being members but the more natural interpretation which is more the plain reading of the text as well as what we see revealed in the rest of the context and some of the the language is that it is referring to a specific woman who was well known as well as her children who were well known by the apostle john i believe that to be the the more biblical way of understanding this there was a specific woman that he writes this letter to he's he's nervous for or he's concerned for rather the fact that she would continue to show hospitality to believers that she wouldn't show this to unbelievers that she would be uh, discerning in the way in which she loves and looks after and he writes this to her and you find that now that then she would have specific children that he was also writing to as well. But I think that a key comes even for us in verse 12 and verse 13. If you look at verse 12 and verse 13 of Second John, you see, though I have many things to write to you. Now, yes, where Afrikaans is actually a bit better than English. Um, English, it's difficult to know this word you. Is that plural or is that singular? You know, am I talking to you as a crowd or am I talking to you as Vainant? Yeah. Now, that's difficult in English because you've only got one word, you. Whereas in Afrikaans, you have ye and yella. Yeah, yeah. You know, ye yeah, and yeah. yella. And a that becomes a clear distinction. Yeah. Now, in the Greek, it was, it's actually a bit easier than, than, the, than the English. It's like the Afrikaans. This yeah would be yella, yeah. where he says, I, I have many things to write to yella. Yeah. to you people. So yeah. he's writing this for the broader um, enjoyment of this lady, her children, possibly even the local church looking in. And then he says, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you. Again, this is yellow. Yeah. Uh, this is the plural, the second person plural of you, and speak face to face so that your joy, and there you can see your, um, again, would be the yellow, you, you people, yeah. your your joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister. And here's where it becomes interesting again. Verse 13, because yeah, it's saying, yay, not yellow. All it right. becomes singular again. The children of your, specifically you, um, this individual, second person singular, you, yay. Your elect sister, greet you, yay. So right. he's talking here to specifically this lady once again. And he's saying, your, your sister's children are greeting you. And so there, I believe, is, a, is another clue that he's, spe- he's speaking specifically to a specific woman. He hasn't given her name. Oh, Maybe right. that was to avoid persecution. We know the church was being persecuted at this time. He's speaking to her. He writes this letter to her. And even at the closing of the letter, he's saying, I've actually just been with your sister's children. And they're also greeting you. Oh, and right. I'm going to greet you as well. And I think that that's helpful when you're thinking through the, the, the you 
as a plural in verse 12 and then you as in singular verse 13. That gives us some of that indication of this. Thank you, Maureen Soweto. Bless your heart. Thank you for your participation in this program. As jy vraag het, 082 Vodacom 657 Die frequentie waarop ons uitsaai die nummerkie 21729 Radio Kaapse Kansel Let's put it together, 082 657 That's the WhatsApp number. That's where you post your questions to. Just make mention of the scripture that is unclear to you. Steer it for us, dear. And this is the program where we tackle it heads on. Pastor Rocky, bless your heart for that. Got a, uh, a WhatsApp from Zani, Zani, that says, uh, guys, thank you so much. I want to read the, the entrance as well. I listened to your program on Radio Pulpit. Thank you so much. We are learning so much indeed. To God be the glory. And all I can say is amen, my brother. Thank you so much. Then he says, I would like to ask about Genesis 27 verse 39. Rocky, this is where you've got to open up at Genesis 27 39 and just read it to us. And then he says, can you please explain it to me? His father Isaac answered him. Uh, there, Genesis 27 39. Uh, and he's asking, can you please explain it to me? Lay it out for me. What does Genesis 27 39 says? So in the Legacy Standard Bible, it says, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall be your habitation, and away from the dew of heaven from above. I think part of the question that has been asked here is because there's a discrepancy between the NIV and the King James Version. Yeah. And he he highlights some of that. Now, the, the NIV says this. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. And then the King James, verse 39, says this. Thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. Now, you can hear the distinct difference. So the one says, away from earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven. That's the NIV above. And then the King James says, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. Now, that's two separate understandings. And it would seem that these two translations don't say the same thing. And and so I think that our listeners has picked up on some of that when he was reading and probably comparing these two (laughs) translations. And that's good. It's good that we do that. We must remember that a translation is a wonderful tool for us. It's a tool that has been prepared for us. And oftentimes a translation has been worked on by a marvelous team of people that have worked together and have looked at different manuscripts and they've done something called textual criticism. And there's a high kind of thinking that goes into some of this, not criticism in the sense of criticizing, but they will compare the different manuscripts that are available and they'll look together, and then they will make translational um, works on this. Now, what is helpful when we have a situation like this, where there's two translations that seem to have a bit of a, a different way of, of translating, is to then go back to what did the Hebrew say? What did the actual manuscript say? Yes. Now, very, and, and you could get yourself one of these. You can find us at Augustine Bookroom, an interlinear Bible, where you have the Hebrew English and the Greek English, and that's pretty helpful, and it gives you a very literal translation. So if you crack that open, you'll see quite a literal translation of this verse would be, your abode will be from the fat of the earth and from the dew of the heavens above. Now, when you read it like that, that still leads you towards a lot of, translation of this because we've got a preposition there from so but what do we mean by this from your abode will be from now that could be taken either the way the king james took it or the way the niv took it 
that could be from meaning you're not going to be having the fat of the earth. You're not going to have from the, the dew of the heaven. Or you could have it from as we're going to get it from this actual fat of the earth and from the actual dew of heaven. So then it becomes a bit more difficult. But what should we do in that type of a case? Well, look at the context. As we look at the context of the passage, and as we look down at something like verse 41, you start to see that Esau hates his brother Jacob. He's just heard this. Now, if, if he was giving him a blessing and saying, hey, you're going to eat of the fat of the land. That's how the King James, in a sense, gives it. And you're going to eat of the dew of heaven. This, is, this sounds like it's actually a pretty good blessing. Whereas the NIV and version is saying, well, it's going to be away from this. It's going to be away from that. Yeah. This, is, this doesn't sound like a blessing any longer. And from the immediate context, it would seem that the understanding of Esau was not that he's going to be having a party. He's not going to be having a good time. This is something that's going to be bad for him. And he's so angry with his brother because his brother's stolen this from him. The reason that he's getting, in a sense, not a blessing in that way, but he's actually getting more of a curse yeah. is because his birthright was stolen by his brother. And so it's helpful to look at some of the context to to give us some of this. Now, the legacy standard, as I read it earlier, says, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your habitation, and away from the dew of heaven from above. And I think that that is quite a helpful way of thinking through this verse. And I think in the context, it's held up by that. But it's just to remind um, our dear friends that are listening that Bible translations are a marvelous, a beautiful tool for us. It's it's helpful for us to go and look at this, and it's good for us to question. And it's to good compare, for us to yeah. compare. Mm. It's good for us to look at the, these and, and be a, a student of this. That's what we are encouraging you even in this program is to go and be good Bereans, you know, to go and study, the, to open the Bible, to go look at the Scriptures with this. And the Bible, um, if you're looking for other ways to, there's something called hermeneutics, which is the study of of the scriptures or the science behind the interpretation of the scriptures. If you're looking for some helps on that, there's a marvelous Grace Fellowship here in Pretoria with Joel James. He does some marvelous work on that. I think they've got a a free um, preaching guide that is on their website. But if you're looking for some help with that, you could email me as well at my pastor at bononibiblechurch.co.za and I can send you some stuff on hermeneutics and how to actually look at some of this. We had a fascinating question even last week regarding some of the interpretation and why have we got so many different Bible yes. translations and the, the, the listener actually asked, you know, the, what's the, but the Quran, there's only one which is actually false. There's a lot of translations into yeah. English from the Quran. And so this is a fascinating topic that needs probably quite a lot of time even yeah. to delve into. Right. Zani, I hope uh, that explains it to you. Bless your heart. Thank you so much for uh, taking part in the program. The number in the is, you your vraag wil deerstuur, 082-657-2729. Susan, that sent a question in, talking about the monster out of the sea. Can you for me verduidelik, the monster in the sea, what it, uh, waarvoor it staan? I think she's making reference to the uh, Levant but yes. we'll get back to that in a moment. Ikasa says we have to play some music. When I add the to the authorities over us as well, and so we're gonna listen to Guillaume and Renee. Just take a quick break, a quick breather, give a Rocky a chance to swallow some water, and then we'll be back tackling some more questions. If you've got a question, I wait to six five seven two seven two nine. We are here twenty four hours a day with the message of hope, faith, and love on six five seven a.m. 
That's where you're tuned to, 6.57 a.m., the program called Scriptural, Scriftierlik, waans die woord van die Heere onderzoek. Samen met my in die atelier, Pastor Rocky Stevenson. Rocky, if they want to get hold of you after the program, good news is we podcast this program, but sometimes uh, our listeners feel, man, I'd love to speak to you some more about something that you perhaps said. Uh, email address, where can our listeners get hold of you? Pastor at BenoniBibleChurch.co.za, so that's quite an easy one um, folk can also have a look at our YouTube channel if they like. They can look for Benoni Bible Church. We've got our sermons there. We've got a website as well, www.benonibiblechurch.co.za. You are not hidden. Easily to be so found. easy to be found. Easy to be Probably found. Probably if you search for Rocky Stevenson, you'll find all the things people say about No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the information highway if you want uh, some answers. Well, don't always trust what Google have to say. Uh, search God's Word, Acts 1711. It's good to listen to Rocky and Vainant. But ultimately, to be a Berean, to search the Scriptures yourself and see. Uh, there's a, uh, a Scripture, Second Corinthians 5 and verse 13, uh, that says, uh, you know, to make sure if Christ is in you. Search yourself to make sure if Christ is in you. Susan, wat wat ons vraag hier aangestuur het, Pastor Rocky Weinand, kan jylle asjeblief help vir my die monster uit die see? Uh, can you let that uh, for my fidelic? Is the scriptures talking about the Leviathan here? What monster out of the sea is she referring to? Yeah, uh, where do Susan, we find that in the scripture? Susan is most likely referring to Job 3 verse 8, which talks about the Leviathan. Interestingly enough, Job's book was likely written before Genesis was written. Even though the, the dates and the things that happen in Genesis precede that of Job's, you've got Job, probably the first book of the Bible ever written. And he speaks about the Leviathan there in Job 3 verse 8 and talks about how rousing up the Leviathan. But then in Job 41 verse 1, he says this, Can you draw out Leviathan from with fishhooks or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook while he make many please will he make many pleas to you will he speak to you with soft words will he make a covenant with you or take or take him with you as your servant forever will you play with him as with a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls will traders bargain over him will they divide him up among the merchants can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Wow. Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even in the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dare, dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? This is God speaking to Job. He's saying, he has this creature yeah. that I made. Yeah. Now, are we you, talking dinosaurs here? Yeah, we're talking something like a dinosaur. Um, I think that you'd have some kind of a sea monster in a sense, but scales that were similar yeah. to that of a crocodile, flames coming from his mouth. Yeah, Job 41 verse, verse, verse 12, talk about the flames coming from his nostrils yeah. and mouth. Eh? Yeah, so wow. this would seem something like a dragon kind of a thing. Now, now there it's spoken of in Job, but... But oftentimes Satan is referred to as well as yeah. this kind of a beast, this Fire Leviathan. Dragon, yeah. um, in, in the Psalms, it even speaks about this. And this is in David's time, which was a thousand years before Christ. Yeah. And so you've got um, years before the Lord Jesus is born, it would seem that the Leviathan was still something literally around. Psalm yeah. 104 says, there go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. This Leviathan creature that would be some kind of sea monster. 
you know, kind of a Loch Ness, if you want to call well, it. Well, there's lots way. of folklore around, uh, you, and, and we hardly explored the, the depths of the ocean. Do you think this animal has died out? Yeah, I wonder too. I wonder as well, you know, if there are some creatures similar to this that are at the very depths. But we do see Leviathan even mentioned later on in the book of Revelation as well. And um, you've got, in a sense, this battle with Leviathan in a in a more you know Satan kind of a way, as yeah. he's referred to as this type of a beast um, that that was there. So even Isaiah chapter twenty-seven verse one makes reference, and it says, "In that day, the Lord will will um, with his." Hard and great and strong sword will crush and will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Funny enough, you actually have some organizations today that still like to put a post with a Leviathan wrapped around oh, it. Yes. And you have yeah, this, yeah. this yeah. Um, idea of him being absolutely destroyed. And, so. and you see it a lot in Japanese culture as well, with reference to dragons and on their flags, and you see it a lot there. But ultimately, it's what God's Word has to say about it, isn't for it? sure. Right. So, bye, thank you. So, I'm going Mark for your Nicolene, yes, volgende. Rocky, we've literally got three minutes left in this program and still so many questions. Good day, guys. Can you please explain to me, should a person drink alcohol? The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Should a person, didn't say a Christian, just said a person, well, let's bring it closer to him. Are we as Christians allowed to use alcohol? So um, this this is a wisdom question as well. I, I, I personally don't drink any alcohol at all. And there's a number of reasons for that. I'm not going to be able to explain all of it in three minutes. But we do find the Apostle Paul actually encouraging a little bit of drinking of wine for Timothy. In First Timothy we had 5, a 23, he says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and yeah. your frequent ailments. Right. Now, a lot of the time, if you had brackish water at that time that had been standing a bit, if you mixed a bit of wine in, it yeah. would actually cleanse and form a cleansing agent within the water to make yeah. the water better. And it would seem Timothy was having stomach issues and Paul says to him hey don't just drink the water now mix a bit of wine and use a bit of wisdom use a bit of common sense the Bible's not against common sense and against um, helping us with these things and now we do know that there's various elements even antioxidants within fermented foods within fermented drink Um, you have some of that even um, you you can mix a millipup kind of a thing they do it in Lesotho and it makes a a bit of a fermented thing And, and sometimes that's actually helpful for the gut it puts a good biome within the gut and so Paul actually encourages a little bit of this but to become drunk with this and to become intoxicated with this is against, obviously, the Scriptures. In Ephesians 5, that section there in verse 18, it's, it's set in the contrast of being filled with the Spirit. And so that, that debauchery that, that the intoxication of wine leads you towards is that you actually move under the influence of then that wine in that sense. And he's putting that in contrast to being influenced by the Holy Spirit right. and going the way of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, the believer ought to be uh, moved by the Spirit of God, not by any other form of intoxication. All right. We must be careful, however. Once many years ago on a uh, uh, radio station down in P, I, I made the mistake of saying there's nothing wrong with wine. And a alcoholic that the Lord had set free, it said to me, brother, that's de- detrimental words. Yes. Please don't be a stumbling block yes. unto me. And so that that's why it does need much wisdom. I yeah. do think that today there's so much that we can... Um, 
enjoy as far as drinks that you don't really need to ever turn yeah. towards alcohol. All but right. there may be some kind of a medical reason, um, and medically we see that in First Timothy 5.23. Yeah, right. So you need the wisdom. We pray that God's Spirit will give you that wisdom. Rocky, in closing, bless your heart, uh, my brother. It's all over and done with. The shortest hour of your life every week. Can you believe it? Just that uh, email address again. It's pastor at benonibiblechurch.co.za. Next week, God willing, we'll be back to answer some more of your questions. Thank you so much for listening to this program. It's good to listen to Rocky and Vainan, but ultimately... Be a Berean. Go search the scripture, Acts 17, 11, to see if these things are so. Rocky, bless your heart. Have a safe journey back home. Thank, Thank you for joining nice. us this morning. Playing out with coffee snobs of all things. There's something for you to drink. Enjoy it. Uh, Lied getiteld, Skyling. Tot volgende keer, Albert Oerbleid dan, om te sê, is liefde groete en shalom. Ons sien volgende week weer as die Heere wil.